0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai,
1: there's joy in every journey.
0: Welcome into Loho Daily. I am Loho, a.k.a. Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. This happens sometimes when you do a daily show. You have the best intentions in mind for what the show is going to be that day, and then things happen, and you have to adjust on the fly. This happened on Tuesday. On Tuesday's show, Herbie and I had kind of planned out what we were going to do. Obviously, it was going to be a lot of Bears conversation, and... We were going to talk with Jim Gray. We had been planning to talk with Jim Gray for weeks. He has a new book out called Talking to Goats, which is amazing. I'm going to read you just Greg Bishop of SI fame, wrote it with him. Here's some of the chapters. Mike Tyson, much more than a bite. Ali, touched by greatness. Hammer and Hank, Mr. Decency. Tom Brady, my friend, the goat. By the way, Tom Brady wrote the foreword for this book, Talking to Goats. I had seen Jim Gray talking about this book in a couple of different places. I said, you know, I, I want to talk to him. I want to get him on the show. And, and Herbie worked diligently to get him onto the show. So then what happens? Like, we, I have my interview planned out. Like, I know the things that I want to ask Jim Gray I, I, I'm looking forward to what he says and if I can follow up on some of his because he's, he's seen a lot throughout his career. The Bears lose in horrific fashion on Monday night and we knew that we were going to talk about the Bears and Jim Gray did the halftime on Westwood One so he was watching the Bears game so I knew that I could ask him at least one question about the Bears and get a good answer out of him. Then... As I'm getting ready, like as I'm sitting at the desk doing my pre-show stuff, the news about Theo Epstein comes out and all of it ends up getting lost in the sauce, like not to use a cliche, but yes. So I had this great interview with Jim Gray and, and people who heard it live, I think really appreciated it, but we couldn't react to it. Because there were other things that we needed to react to in the moment. So I wanted to make it a standalone episode of the podcast because I think it's that interesting. It's rare that I'll do this and like pull a whole interview and throw it into the pod. But I think it, it, you will get something out of it. So inside here, Jim and I talk about Mike Tyson for sure. There's, there's an incredible story at the end of this interview about Mike Tyson. He talks about Michael Jordan. I I wanted to ask him a lot about Michael Jordan. But we started off this thing with me just talking to him on what was the inspiration behind putting the book together.
1: Well, I I just thought it was time. Uh, All of these things that happened uh, throughout the course of my career from being able to travel travel with Muhammad Ali and and become a, a lifelong friend and in the ring with Tyson so many times and the ear-biting and the malice at the palace and, um, you know, LeBron's first game and the decision and all of these things just accumulated and and I just decided, you know, having interviewed the past nine presidents of the United States and Nelson Mandela and Mikhail Gorbachev and a good friend of mine, Stedman Graham. Uh, You guys know Stedman well. He's a, a Chicago guy and Oprah. Stedman has for years told me Two things, Jim Gray, they're paying you to talk, just keep talking, and get all these stories down on paper. Write a book, write a book. So I finally decided, you know, I turned 60 years old, and I said, okay, I, I think I think it's time to do this, and got a great writer to uh, write it with me, uh, Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated. He's prolific, and he did an, an amazing job putting tens of thousands of interviews and events together and organizing this uh, 43 years that I've been in broadcasting.
0: I heard an interview with you maybe a couple weeks ago where you were talking about Mike Tyson. And that that soundbite that we played coming back into segment was you on Tyson's podcast. You had said that you thought that the interview after Tyson got his ear bitten was one of the best that that you'd ever done. Why is that the case?
1: Well, when he bit Evander Holyfield's ear, we had never seen anything like it in our lives and we haven't seen anything since. So uh, when I was on the broadcast with Showtime and Steve Albert was calling the fight and then Mills Lane stopped the fight on the second bite, you know, I knew that this was going to be something that was going to be forever remembered. And you usually aren't thinking about that during the time, but I knew nothing like this has ever happened before and it's not going to happen again. Don't screw this up. So, you know, uh, Mike ran out of the ring and there was a melee in it. And, uh, went back to the locker room, and make a long story short, Don King got Mike to come out and did the interview. Um, And I've always had tremendous respect for Mike for doing that interview because most guys, when they do something like that, they hide behind a PR firm, they release a statement, they say it's a legal issue. They do anything to never address it. He came right out and talked about it. And he had a gash, Lawrence, over his right eye where you could actually see his skull. It's the only time I've ever had that happen in my life. You could see the white of his skull over that orbital bone. That's how deep it was. And he came out and and he spoke about what had happened and why he felt that uh, he had to uh, retaliate in the fashion of biting an ear. Well, I've I've always just been, you know, I'm glad I didn't screw that up because I would have never forgiven myself. And that was the one interview that I've done where I didn't say, you know, I stumbled on the question or... Why didn't I ask that? Or I reviewed it in my mind and said, boy, I I could have been better there. I walked away, and he walked away, and I knew that the team at Showtime and David Dinkins Jr., the producer, and myself, we got that exactly right.
0: Jim Gray joining me for a few minutes. His book is called Talking to Goats, The Moments You Remember and the Stories You Never Heard. Considering all the great things that you've done, obviously this past summer there's been a renaissance in 90s Bulls history. I know that, that you've had the chance to, to sit and talk with Michael Jordan plenty of times. What are the things that we don't know? Even even after watching those 10 hours of the documentary, what are the things we don't know about Michael Jordan?
1: I, found, I, I find the courtesy and the grace. And, you know, he knows how to handle... All, he's very self-aware. He knows who he is, and he handles it fantastically. I, I never saw Michael Jordan have a bad public moment, and I saw him in public an awful lot. So, you know, he always had the right touch. He knew how to tap that, that child on the head. He knew how to pat some guy on the back. He knew how to shake, you know, the CEO's hand. Uh, he, he, he was just He was just, you know, pretty good considering all of the demands with all of the people who, he, who came in contact with him. And he had, and he did it with a smile and he, and he was in a coat and tie and a suit. And it was just, you know, it was just, he, he upheld in your mind, you know, what we think the best of all of us can be. And you know, there's warts, there's flaws, there's quirks. He's not the perfect human being and he didn't try to portray himself as that either. Okay. So, I just I just think the person that he is and 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 the way that he has conducted himself has been exemplary and you know obviously he's he's a goat greatest basketball player you know of all time and and you know LeBron James making a run at it and you know Kobe Bryant patterned his whole life after this guy look at how great Kobe was and he truly just wanted to be like Mike so you know people People make assumptions, and their visions of what they see on TV, that image becomes their reality, and I believe the reality of Michael Jordan is this is a good guy, and this is a guy who, you know, obviously wanted to do anything he could to win, and was he's the most competitive human being I've ever seen on the planet, okay? Didn't matter whether he was playing, you know, throwing those quarters against the wall, uh, playing a game of cards. A game of golf he wants to win everything so that's how i would answer that Lawrence.
0: when you look back at this collection of people that you've talked to and it's an incredible collection of folks in the book talking to goats the moments you remember in the stories you never heard is there anything that ties greatness together because i think all of us jim are, are trying to figure out well how can we be the best version of ourselves and how can we get to the next level of what it is that we do whatever it is we do so was there any sort of thread that connected all of these greats together
1: i would say there is i would i would say the hard work dedication and myopic tunnel vision they all went about it in different ways but it all comes back to basically that that they all have that, that same thread that, that you can intertwine between all of them have that. And then how they, how they achieve that uh, is, is, you know, different. I mean, just uh, there's, a, there's a chapter on perfection that I wrote, and, and I put that, that theory and, 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 and trying to obtain that uh, with Don Shula and The Perfect Season who was my partner on the radio and, and who I covered as the Dolphins coach, had the perfect NFL season, the only one, uh, you know, in modern history, 72 Dolphins, with Floyd Mayweather, who was 50-0, and 0, and who that O after his name defines his whole life, that zero, that perfection, also the zeros after his name in terms of his bank account, <laughs> and Michael Phelps, who became the most decorated Olympian in the history of not only swimming, but any Olympian, and how... And how How an adult human being was so dedicated that he was willing to stare underwater at a black line for the majority of his adult life. At a black line underwater so that he could somehow figure out how to be a fingernail better than a competitor from Australia or New Zealand or Russia. And he did that to win all those medals to the point where it torments you okay? Tormented, all right? I talk to Tom Brady all the time about being able to touch perfection and not be able to hold on to it and how he's thrown the perfect pass. He's engineered the perfect comeback against the Falcons 28-3 to and then winning that Super Bowl. He's had those type of feelings and what drives him, and it's to try and do it again and again and to somehow be able to hold on to it, but nobody can and Kobe, Kobe said he always realized it wasn't reality to try and chase perfection because, to him, it wasn't realistic. But he said it sure was a whole lot of fun trying.
0: How did you get so tight with Tom Brady? Because I, I got to tell you, Jim, like I, I used to be the nighttime host here at the score. So I would often run into Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday night football, and I'd hear your interviews with Tom Brady, and I'm like, no one gets Brady like this. How did Jim get Brady like this? So i got to know, how did you guys build this bond that you have that that comes across pretty clearly over the air on the Westwood One broadcast?
1: Well, it it just started as me covering him. I I hadn't met him until uh, three days before he played in his first Super Bowl when I did the interview on Westwood One. And the interview went well, and after the game, interviewed him. Uh, right immediately after, and then I asked him, would he come out and do another interview for the Today Show on the field? And he did it. And so I just basically covered his career, and then Don Shula and Mike Ditka could no longer do the radio. Ditka had duties at ESPN, and Don Shula just wanted to retire, didn't want to do the show anymore because he was getting up in the years. So I saw Tom by accident one day uh, with his son playing uh, tennis, by total accident in Los Angeles. And I said, you know, let me throw this out there. So I told him, you know, we have an opening on the radio. Would he ever consider doing a weekly uh, guest appearance? And he said, let me think about it. What does it entail? And he thought about it, told him what it entailed, called me back about 10 days later, that I want to do that. And now for over a decade, we've done the pregame and the halftime. And uh, he wrote me a letter, though, Lawrence, before we did our first show, which says everything about this guy you need to know. Handwritten letter came to my house, and he said, thanks so much for the opportunity. I'm really looking forward to doing the radio show just understand, Jim, that you'll get the same effort out of me on Monday nights that I give my teammates on Sunday afternoons. That just blew me away; still blows me away. But that's how he handles it. So we've become, you know, good friends. I'm so honored uh, and and truly humbled and grateful that he does the radio show with me and that he was willing to put his name on the cover of my book uh, by writing the foreword.
0: Before I let you go, Jim, I just want to go back to boxing real quick because you're you're kind of known for doing these incredible in-ring interviews with guys after fights, and it's an intimidating environment overall, and anyone that's actually covered a big-time fight can tell you what the energy is like there. In these moments, whether you're talking to Mike Tyson or you're talking to Adrian Broner, like how... How are you able to stay as calm and as laser focused like your interviews with boxers when they come at you and, and they say, well, you're not on my side or or you're, you're we knew that you were against me. You're able to pivot as, as quickly as any any broadcaster that I've ever seen. Where did that development come from? And and I imagine that having to be fast enough to talk with Ali prepares you for just about anybody.
1: I'm I'm not sure how to answer that. I guess it's just, you know, I've I've never really thought about it. You know, I I will say one thing. I've never felt imperiled with any of these fighters. I mean, I've never thought that any of them were going to do anything, you know, that would put my physical well-being in jeopardy. So I've never had that fear and sometimes I look back at the tape and I thought, wow, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. That guy could have smacked me, but they didn't. But I really never had that feeling while it was going on. Look, Mike Tyson one time, Lawrence, he he threatened to kill me live on the air, said, I'll kill you and I'll kill Don King. And he had that look and he, he was serious. And then 45 seconds later, he kissed me on my cheek. And let me tell you, that was far more disturbing. So you know, I just never, you, when, when you ask that, I, I'm just trying to concentrate on what they're saying and just like anybody at home would want to follow up of what's been in front of them and ask them what's pertinent. And uh, so that's what I've tried to do, tried to do it for the people I work with at Showtime or the network I'm with and uh, for the audience.
0: So you hear me ask him about the, the Tyson interview in ring and the Adrian Broner one. I want to share, if you never have seen it, I want to share the Adrian Broner interview with you, and I'm going to do my best to edit it out, but you'll hear what I'm talking about where it takes a lot of courage to do what Jim does, and at the end of this, his zinger is amazing. Enjoy. Yeah, bring
1: it over here. I got a lot to say. We're going to conduct this professionally or we're not going to have an interview. You make the decision. What did you think about the fight? What you? I beat him. Everybody out there know I beat him. Everybody j- out there know I beat him. I controlled the fight. He was missing. I hit him clean more times. I beat him. You averaged eight punches. Less than eight punches was the most punches that you had in the round. And it seemed as though you couldn't get it close sound like, enough. It already sounded like you was against me. So I already ain't I already, I already ain't got a fair fact. shake talking to you. But let me talk something. Let me let y'all know. I want to thank the whole hood who came out here. I love y'all. I did this for the hood. Y'all know I beat that boy. Y'all know I beat that boy. They trying to, what they trying to do is they trying to get that money again with Pacquiao and um, Floyd. But it's cool. I ain't worrying about it. I'm still
0: that man. I'm on top. Cincinnati stand up. West side. Two five. You're
1: three three and one in your last seven fights, what will you do next? Hey, I'm 3-3-1 in my last seven, but I'll be 7-0 against you. Well, that wouldn't mean much. That's the end of this interview.
0: Good luck to you in the future.